And now I will kindly ask uh, Dr. Martin Stopford uh, to join us and deliver his keynote remarks. Uh, Dr. Stopford is uh, very well known. He needs no introduction from me. Uh, he is uh, clearly uh, a guru of, uh, on the shipping markets, uh, world-respected uh, and, and known, so we are honored to have him with us uh, here today. Martin, thank you. Well, thank you. Uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and um, Nicholas, thank you for the kind introduction. It's, it's a great pleasure to be here. I, um, I, I'm now getting quite a long perspective on the shipping industry. I think it's um, over 32 years since I first came to Japan, and always during that time on each visit, there are issues that are pressing with us on the minds of ship owners. I mean, that's the nature of the business. But I, I do think that today things are a little bit different. I, I feel, as I travel around the world, I feel change in the air. You, it, people are apprehensive about the future, not just about the market. And um, the, the question and what I want to address this morning is how we should be looking at the, the, the next stage for the shipping market um, at a time when, I mean, this is the Tagodin in uh, the North Pole, and they tell us in 30 years' time it will be in the open ocean in the summer. There will be no, no, no ice there. Uh, even now you can sail in the summer to the middle of, of the North Pole. And these are just, uh, this is just one small change that we're facing. Um, and so the question is, what, what, what should we be doing? Um, the first thing, of course, that you, any business must do um, when preparing for the future is survive today. It's no good, um, you know, preparing for the future if you disappear and go bankrupt on the way along the road. So the first responsibility is always to take a look at the market. And I'll start my comments briefly with a few words about the, my views on the future of the shipping market. And then I'll go on to look at um, how I, we are, might deal with a new era of shipping technology um, and change, which I think is a little bit very different from the 50 years of technical stability which we've been through. The last 50 years, each ship has been quite similar to the last ship, a bit bigger, uh, maybe a little bit more efficient, but uh, no major surprises and nothing very challenging for owners ordering a new ship. But I think as from the flavor you got from the panel earlier this morning, just that was just finished, and everything that we're confronted with in the industry, these decisions are not going to be simple, and each of us is going to have to weigh up the options, which involves, of course, technology, and we have technology. It involves economics. Technology is no good on its own. It has to work commercially, and it also, and to do, to put these together means very careful analysis and judgments. I mean, the agonizing difficulties which the panel just described over deciding whether you put a scrubber onto your ship. I mean, I've spoken to so many ship owners about this, and 
um, I think none, most of the ones I speak to don't really like the look of scrubbers at all, but they're worried that if they don't put scrubbers on the ship, they might have missed a trick. And I think most actually in the end decided not to, but they still are very worried that they might have made the wrong decision, especially when BP goes and starts chartering. I mean, BP should be guaranteeing the quality of sulfur fuel, and, but they're not doing, you know. And then finally, we have to sell whatever ships we come up with to the charterers. And one of the things that is missing today in many of the gatherings I go to are the cargo owners, because in the end, they are our customers. They are the people who will call the shots in this business going forwards. And whatever we do must be very closely related to the aspirations and the requirements of the cargo owners. So that, that um, in case I don't get to the end of my presentation, um, because I've got quite a lot of slides, that's, that, 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 that's an idea of where I'm going. And um, I will try to get through it as, as carefully as I can. We have some very good translators here who are, uh, have taken a lot of trouble to go through the slides. And I hope for those of you who are listening in translation that you can understand what I have to say. But the first, uh, first, let me summarize. My first issue is the, the shipping market, and I'll tell you what I think about that. And the, uh, the, the view is, I think, you know, we are still struggling in the market, but the market fundamentals are looking better today than they, they have been for quite a few years. Um, we can't guarantee a better market next year, but there's a better chance of a better market than there has been for a few years. The... Um, the next issue is the strategies for reducing carbon emissions, which seem to me to be absolutely on the minds of politicians and shipping people throughout the world. This has shot up the agenda in the last year. You cannot ignore it. The, um, there are three issues here that I want to talk about. The first is the actual amount of cargo we transport. I think looking forwards... You can't solve the problems entirely by shipping technology. We have to think about um, reducing carbon emissions by actually not carrying cargo, which is not adding value. And this is something... We all, we're all pre-programmed to hope that cargo grow, will grow faster, but if we can manage to get the same value without increasing cargo volumes, then that is a very good solution, and we should try to do that. Second thing is... Um, as I think several of the panelists mentioned before, use slower steaming uh, of ships is a very good solution. Um, it, it's, it can help considerably, and I'll quantify this. Um, but it, there are, is a major issue in how, we, how IMO decides to implement this particular strategy. Uh, one option is that you put a speed limit on ships like you... Um, do with cars. Another option is you use a, 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 a tax or a tariff of some sort on bunkers. And um, I think it, it makes an enormous difference which of those two you choose. Personally, I would prefer the, the carbon pricing one, the, the, the tax. The third thing is uh, shipbuilding and the need to build a new gener generation of ships with low-carbon um, power systems, and this, I think, is... A, it, it, to be here in Japan, which invented 
modern ship building technology. When I was a young man, I saw the things that people like Dr. Shinto had been doing at IHI in the 1960s to revolutionize the way we build ships. And I think the shipbuilders are going to have to take to look at their basic shipbuilding techniques in order to build the ships with the systems that they need that are needed for the digital technology that we have today. It's a big change, and I think it could be very difficult. It's challenging for the shipbuilders. And in, I think in Japan, we're fortunate that you're fortunate here that you have the big companies with resources, the big shipping companies with resources to invest in new solutions, but you also have the dynamic shipbuilders who have proved over the last 20 years, 25 years, that they can adapt to change when they need to, I think. Um, you know, we were all told in the late 80s that in Japan, they thought shipbuilding was, a, it was called a, a, a sunset industry. 3K industry was what they said. And I don't know what the 3Ks were in Japanese words, but in, I think it was three, in, in English, it was three Ds. Dirty, uh, dangerous, and depressing was what the... the and um, so no young graduates would go into shipbuilding. So it's a particular pleasure to see today that... Japanese shipbuilding, I noticed last year, according to our statistics, Korea, Japan delivered almost the same amount of ships, which I think is a, a remarkable achievement uh, in today's very competitive market. So, the, uh, and then finally, the organization of shipping companies. Well, I've, ladies and gentlemen, I've taken quite a lot of time introducing my slides, and so with your agreement, I'm going to go through quite quickly now, and I hope that the translators can keep up with me and that uh, we can get to the end without uh, boring you too much. Uh, first point, the market today. Um, my argument is we've been stuck in a rut, and what I mean is, you know, the market for the last 10 years since the great boom has been... It's gone up and down. We've had a very nice spell in tankers for a year or two. Bulk is not so good. And this actually reminds me of the 1990s when it was rather similar. It's depressing. You, don't make, you go year after year, you just don't make much money. You, know, you survive, but you don't make much money. And um, uh, the interesting thing in the 1990s, in 1999, if you had invested in 1999 in some nice... Panamax bulk carriers at $19 million, you would have bought the most profit profitable ships in 3,000 years of history, I think. They, were, they made, you know, an $18 million Panamax would have made $150 million by the time you finished, or rough, you know, lots of money. So um, you never know what lies ahead, and you must always, the, the, the one rule of a ship owner who hasn't got any ships isn't going to be there when the boom comes, you know, so that's, that's always an issue. Um, the, at the moment, the, in terms of the trend where the cycles are in the different markets, um, I won't spend too long on this, but tankers are below trend, bulkers are about on trend, and this is compared with the last 12 months compared with the last seven years. Gas is below trend, um, coming back a bit, offshore well below trend, and chemicals is also a little bit below trend. Containers, uh, above trend, but it's been a very bad seven years for containers, not very, dis but rather disappointing. 
But the fundamentals, I mean, this is not, I'd say the fundamentals don't look too bad. If we take a look at world seaborne trade, last year the industry moved 12 billion tons of cargo, which makes it one of the world's most important industries. And I have to say, it's more important, in my opinion, it's more important than Apple. I'd rather, you know, I think if you made a top 10, I would put shipping above Apple as, um, or, or, uh, as a, an important contributor. We move nearly two tons of cargo for every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth every year. And this is, so this is important. The growth rate recently has been a little bit slower, and um, it's been about 2, 2.5%, as you can see. If you look at this chart, it shows you the year-to-year -year growth. Um, I think if you take my opening comments... I say that's quite good. Because the growth's been slower, our carbon footprint of the industry is actually today no higher than it was in 2008. So um, without even trying, we've made quite a lot of progress towards the IMO's goal just by slowing the fleet down and the growth rate of cargo is not growing so fast. Um, and the shipbuilding industry in fundamentals terms, um, has now reduced its output. Uh, you notice on this chart it goes back to 1958, and you see there was a great boom in 1973. This was when Japan was dominating world sh uh, shipbuilding, and we, went, we had a 20-year recession. After that shipbuilding boom, we had a 20-year recession, and you'll notice that the shipbuilding output fell much faster in the 1970s than it has in this recession. I think financial easing and the amount of finance available made it possible, especially for the bulk carrier industry, to order vast quantities of bulk carriers in the middle of recession. 100 million tons of orders in 2013, you know, is a massive development. So, but at last, we see very little, the order book has come down, and the bulk carrier growth fleet is not going to grow very much. It's grown 2% this year, um, less than 1% next year on our calculations. And you can see this in the, um, we look at this chart, the, the, the thing to look at is the red dashed line, which shows you on the right-hand axis the percentage growth of the world fleet. And after at the peak of shipbuilding deliveries in 2011, the fleet was growing at nearly 10% per annum, which was about three and a half times the growth of trade. And um, at the moment, it's, uh, this year, it's going to grow at about 2%, so, which is much more in line with the 2% growth of cargo which, which we're expecting. So we are moving back into something sort of a, a, towards a sort of equilibrium on this side. Uh, <clears throat> but we still have some surplus capacity. The bars show the surplus capacity in this recession. You see in 2007, 2008, we were short of ships. The blue bars are below zero. That was a shortage of ships. Today, we have about 25% of spare capacity. It's all tied up in slow steaming. Um, Bulkers steaming 11 knots, 12 knots. They have the physical capacity to do 14 knots if they wanted to. But actually, at today's bunker prices, um, 12 knots is an economic speed. So in one sense, this is not surplus capacity. It is actually... 
um, just a, a spare capacity which is allowing the fleet to operate at an echo speed of 11 or 12 knots. And again, this is an issue we're going to have to deal with in future. It, and I think um, uh, Bjorn Sverig mentioned this in his comments, that the, the market will be looking at the ability of ships to speed efficient, to operate efficiently within a wide speed range. I think that's an issue for the future. Um, let me move on now to the strategies for reducing carbon emissions. Um, this uh, Last year, the IMO made the decision. Um, of, uh, it was a bit like Brexit, I think, actually. It was a very hard argument. And, um, but they, they were a bit quicker at making the decision than we have in the UK. Um, and they did decide that they would go for 50% reduction, uh, a 50 reduction in carbon emissions by 2050 compared with 2008. And as I understand it, that was simply not based on technology. It was based on the fact that one group of people wanted 100% reduction and another group wanted no reduction. And so, in the end, they settled for a compromise of 50%. And they then said, as an add-on, they would like you, you as the ship owners gathered here, um, you should get down to zero as soon as possible, uh, as it says. So that, that's the challenge. And I think it's a challenge we all... I, I mean, going round... Um, you know, I, I used to, when I was a young man, I used to smoke, and, I, and the statistics said you should give up smoking, and I gave up smoking nearly 35 years ago. And I have to say, looking bad, I'm glad I did. And I think that the, the, you know, the, the environmental thing is just like that. You may not be totally sure, but you, smart money says you look after the world just like you look. I looked after my lungs, hopefully, although... <coughs> excuse me. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> um, sorry about that. <laughs> um, but I think that when we come to the technology, and this is primarily a technology issue, you have to realize what a big challenge is ahead of us. If you go back to 1840, you, this is a trade graph. You can't even see on this graph the amount of cargo we moved in 1840. 30,000 sailing ships, totally green, moved 20 million tons of cargo. Since then, today we have 60,000 cargo ships moved 12 billion tons. Now, this could be partly because we are very clever people, but actually the elephant in the room, what's made us Superman, is not actually how clever we are. It's this big engine, fossil fuels. This, this engine is the biggest, um, I think it's probably the biggest diesel engine manufactured, and it uh, produces 109,000 horsepower, 82 megawatt, uh, megawatts. It um, does the work of 3 million people working eight-hour shifts. If you powered uh, the ship with people driving the ship, you would need, they would need a town the size of Athens to live in. But of course, bunker fuels, all you need is a little bit of oil in the bunkers. The, they would eat, the people would eat 3 billion calories a day. And you'd need Panamax carriers to carry their food. And every ton of 
fuel you burn in this engine produces 3.3 tons of carbon. And the big challenge is, where else can we get this amount of energy? Where can you get this energy, which is not fossil fuels? And this is the great technological challenge. And IMO has told us that we must reduce carbon to half the, the 2008 uh, level of emissions, which is the area. The vertical axis on this chart is the emissions of the shipping industry. And as you can see, in 2008, the industry emitted about 970 million tons of carbon, and we must reduce that to 470 million tons by 2050, at least. If we go on as we are, growing trade at 3.5% per annum, 3.4 percent, by 2050 we will produce 3 billion tons of emissions. So that is six times the IMO's target. And so what you, the companies here, have to do is to find a solution to this. And I, 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 I have a little model that I've used for many years, and I decided I would see if I could figure out how we could do this. And I I, I, to my surprise, I found that we can do it. It's surprising, but you can. It looks um, impossible, but this is how you do it, okay? Um, the first step is you move less cargo. You cut your growth rate to 2.2% from 3.2%. And we're already, the last couple of years, we've been doing 2.2%, so we're there, but you stop. You, you need to bring the cargo owners in, and the cargo owners really do need to look very carefully at what they move by sea, and to use less ton miles rather than more ton miles if they can, and to not move cargo, which is not really adding value. So that's the first thing. The second thing we need to do is slow down. Um, I, I think 10 knots is a good speed. Um, this, is not, this is not new. For about 50 or 60 years in the 19th century, um, all, all of the main cargo ships, uh, including the ones used by um, the NYK and MOSK, um, they, they were designed to trade at 10 knots because coal was so difficult to handle as bunkers uh, that um, really you didn't want to burn to, even if you could, you know, you could go faster. You didn't want to carry t to go too fast because you used too much coal. Um, and so you need to slow down, but you also need to engineer the ships to be more efficient in many ways, and, and that includes things like using interim cargoes like methane, etc. We need a zero-carbon power. Of course, we've had a little bit of discussion of this already. Um, fuel cells burning, burning some form of hydrogen may be delivered in the form of ammonia, something like that. Uh, is possibly there for 2025, I would say. Uh, ABB are working on a 3 megawatt prototype, which they hope to have ready in 2003. And um, the, in, in 2023, uh, and, uh, you know, there's all sorts of possibilities there which we have to sort out. And the final thing, as, a, as an economist, and I really do think this is important, we have to use the new information age the digital technology age, which has not really got, it's got established in shipping yet, offers us the opportunity to manage the industry better. And here in Japan, I mean, I was brought up with the improvement engineering and the quality assurance systems, which 
the Japanese shipbuilders developed um, and Japanese manufacturers developed. And if there is one place in the world that has the capacity to use this information to improve our carbon, our, our emissions by better management of the business, it is through the sort of techniques engineered here in Japan by businesses outside the shipping industry. And if you put all these together, you start with um, uh, your zero, no-change scenario, and we have 3 billion tons of emissions. Um, you, you reduce cargo growth to 2.2%, and you cut a billion tons off the emissions. You slow down to 10 knots, and you cut another billion tons off the emissions. And that leaves you with... Um, the challenge of uh, getting the zero cargo ships in to finish the job off. So the first two are in our control. We can do it if we want to, just like you can give up smoking if you want to. Do you want to? That's up to you, you know. Um, and, uh, but I, um, I think, you know, uh, when you get old, you start to think about your grandchildren. Um, the... The cargo strategy, um, I don't want to say much about that except that um, I think we, need, we must involve cargo in this. And I think one of the, the lessons from the sulfur issue is that the sulfur issue has been put on the shoulders of the ship owners. The ship owners do not pay for the bunkers. The cargo owners pay for the bunkers. The, uh, a lot of, in the oil industry, the, uh, and we really should have involved the whole of the industry in that piece of regulation. And when we solve the ga greenhouse gas problem, it must be done with cargo as well as with ship owners. It's no good doing it just one side, but also, of course, shipbuilders. Um, and I'm also very keen on short sea shipping, business to business. I think by 2050, we're going to see a very different world in Asia, in the Atlantic, with uh, the sort of logistics which um, Amazon and um, uh, Uber, etc., have shown are possible. Can, shipping is the most carbon-efficient business, and I think we can do a lot of good for the economies by applying our carbon efficiency to really good short sea deliveries. I think that's, I won't go into it now, but I think that's something perhaps for another day. <clears throat> the slow steaming, um, there is an important issue here, um, which um, again, um, Svera uh, mentioned that uh, bunkers are more important. And there has been a major, major change in the economics of the shipping business in the last 10 years. If you look at this chart, the red line show, shows the cost of um, a ship, an Aframax tanker, per day. And it's, I've just taken the one-year time charter rate, which is a perfectly good cost of, of the ship. That's what the ship costs you if you go out to hire it. The blue bar shows the, co the daily cost in $1,000 a day of bunkers for that ship at 14 and a half knots. And until 2008, the ship cost about four times as much as the bunkers. So your whole economic calculation was about using the ship efficiently and you weren't too worried about bunkers. Um, today, the bunkers cost more than the ship. 
and therefore the whole economic calculation should be about, never mind emissions, the whole economic calculation is about using less bunkers and more ship. I, by, by me using more ship, I mean you go more slowly, you know? And the inventory, I've got this set up in a model with, um, uh, with inventory costs. I promise you it works. You know, you should be looking every... My vision is that every day, every principal of a shipping company gets up, goes to switches on his dashboard, sees the carbon footprint of his fleet last week, yesterday, last week. Every master on the ship sees the carbon footprint of his ship and their ship. And then you do the calculation with the cargo owner of the optimum speed for that ship, taking account of all the factors. And if it was me, I'd put, the, I'd put a 150% tax on bunker oil, frankly. I mean, you take the price from $400 to $1,020, and that would motivate, I think that would be quite likely to produce movements at about 10 knots, given the school, that's what my model says anyway, but who am I to say? Um, uh, the, the Greeks are keen on, a sp on, on putting a mandatory speed limit in. Um, and there's the slow steaming, but I'm going to move on because I'm afraid I'm getting over my time. Um, the I think a big part of the ship side goes down to the shipbuilders that we need, the shipping industry needs to be able to look to the shipbuilders to provide the ships which are both carbon efficient but also we need a new generation of ships which are engineered for today's digital technology. Um, I think the car industry was mentioned earlier in terms of gasoline, but this is, I apologize, it's not a Toyota, but I, it's, um, um, I do, I, I, as a matter of fact, um, I, um, I did personally own a, a 1978 uh, 68 Toyota at one stage, jolly good car. Um, very simple, very simple technology, but the point here is that the economist recently described the new BMW as a computer on wheels. And I have to say, you could not describe the average merchant ship today as a computer floating on the water. It's, uh, we are a long way from that. And we need to see the industry digitalizing everything on board. You do it by systems. There are major systems uh, on the ship, uh, sorry, which... Um, uh, and I think that today's zone outfitting technology makes it very difficult to approach systems in an integrated way. And the, the tradition in shipbuilding today is that the shipbuilders do not work closely with the equipment manufacturers in the way that cars and aeroplanes do. And I think we need to see integrated systems. Ballast management, that is so important that ship owners need to explain to the shipbuilders how you build a proper, really efficient ballast management system and trim management system, and then help the shipbuilders to change their systems. And, and I know this is very difficult. When you've, when you've engineered ships like the, 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 the Japanese shipbuilders do, the, the productivity is so high, it's hard to change, but these, this... It's something that must be done together, and Japan is very lucky to have big ship builders here, um, who, big ship owners here who can help out with this sort of thing. Um, the, the, second, the other point on shipbuilding I want to make is that um, we will take uh, zero, I'm, I'm sure we will see zero carbon ships, but it will be 
not the, in 20, by 2050, there will still be a lot of conventional ships, and so we do have to look at interim technology, and I think things like LNG fuel are very worthwhile as a way of sort of slightly future-proofing ships. LNG gets you a 20% saving, and that's worthwhile. Um, and this is just the, um, the uh, slide about the shipbuilders, which I will skip since I've run out of time. But it, it makes this point of that the, the, the shipbuilders have a, a steep hill to climb to produce the digital ships. Uh, and so do the shipping companies. Um, the, um, to, to, we need to integrate transport, and that means a, a change of personnel management, a change of the systems we run, a change of the way the principals manage the ship, um, probably spending more on technical geeks in the office, but also bringing some of your most experienced people ashore to work. Uh, Inmarsat is running very effective 4G uh, communications now. You can run dual systems much better. And, for example, Sperry Rand... Just one example, just launched um, a new navigation system which networks every part of the navigation, uh, all, the, all the navigation software, standard interfaces, and people on shore can see exactly the same information as the master at sea. And this, especially in the container business, this is, a, is, is something that can make such a difference. Anyway, that's, um, I, I've outstayed my welcome and I must get on. So, uh, in conclusion, we're facing an unprecedented change in the maritime industry. The goals are zero carbon and developing uh, the amazing logistics that you can get out of digital technology. We have to do both of those. Um, it's not just about carbon. Um, Cargo interest, ship owners, and shipbuilders must all play a part. This is, has to be a team effort. It's not something that any one group can do alone, and Japan is a place with a great history for doing working together in that way. Financiers are needed. Uh, financiers have great influence and can help with, to, to guide ship owners and support ship owners who prudently and profitably, or well, what passes for profit in shipping, you know, um, are moving down this road. And I'm sure that some of the architects of the new world for ship owning and ship building are sitting here in this room, and I commend you for doing it. And uh, I would say, you know, um, it's a once-in-a-lifetime challenge. Make it work. Thank you very much for your attention. <laughs>